Well, this morning, we'll do things a little differently than normal uh, in some ways as we finish up our series through Philippians. Uh, Next week, we'll actually begin a summer series in the Psalms, Um, so late summer. We went a little longer into the summer with Philippians, uh, but hopefully that's been good. But what we'll do today is, like I said, it's a little different, uh, but hopefully you'll find it uh, good and edifying. Because what I hold in my hand and what hopefully most of you can hold in your hand or pull up on an iPhone or a tablet or something like that, it's precious. It's extremely precious. It's an amazing privilege that we have the ability to have the Word of God in our language and in multiple translations. It's amazing that we have that. For centuries, that was absolutely unheard of. It wasn't until after the invention of the printing press in the 15th century that that, that believers could even maybe fathom that, but they probably couldn't even fathom having a personal copy at that point. It, It wasn't for centuries later that personal copies of God's Word began to be um, more common. And now today, probably many of you have multiple, multiple copies of Scripture in your home. Maybe you have one stuck in your glove box. Maybe you've got them in your bag and wherever. You have them all over. And if you have a phone and an app, you can get about anything you want on that. You know, so what did the church do before they had personal copies of God's Word? They relied on hearing it, on hearing God's Word, on memorizing it, and actually taking to heart what they heard, the message that the Scriptures… There there was an actual attending to the public reading of God's Word. That makes me think of Paul's charge to Timothy in his first pastoral letter to him. In 1 Timothy 4, he wrote to Timothy, he says, "'Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture.'" to exhortation and to teaching, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So that's where we're going to start today. Uh, We did this at the beginning of the letter. I like to do it at the end as well, especially when, you know, it's not Isaiah that we're trying to do this with, it's Philippians. But to take time and actually read through the letter, and I want to encourage you to attend to the hearing of God's Word. This is the most important four chapters of of words that you'll hear all day is God's Word, a public reading of this entire letter. So I've asked a few people to help me in this, um, who will each be reading a chapter, and then I'll finish with the final chapter. Chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, 
so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, 
as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God for his word. It is a privilege to hear his word. And this morning, what I want to do is I just want to review. 
Now, I, I want to make clear, though, what I mean by that. A review is not an ending. It's not an ending. It's a renewed study of something that we have previously studied. This is not a way to lay Philippians aside. <laughs> okay, this is not a, we're de- you know, we're done with that for now. But it's a way to, uh, to, to solidify the truth more and more in our own lives. I want us to treasure up what God has for us in this letter. I want the truths of this letter to be worked deep into my own heart and into your heart by the Spirit of God. This is not for information or for the sake of information, but again, as Paul instructed Timothy, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim of the charge is love that issues from a good, pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So, just looking back at this letter, it is one that many have described as a letter of joy, and you probably heard that throughout the letter as we read. It certainly is one that is filled with joy, but I also think it's very important for us to understand the source of that joy. That joy flows out of something. It's not just that, that uh, that's Paul's personality. His joy flows out of something. It's, it's not joy in and of itself, but it's joy founded upon the believer's union, there, his being united, his or her un- uniting to Christ. It's from the truth of the gospel. It's from the truth that God loves his people so greatly that he would give his one and only son that those who repent and believe in him would not experience the penalty of their sin but would rather find eternal life in Christ. And that truth, that truth controlled Paul. It constrained him in all of life. And we actually see that from the opening words in this letter. As he, as he opens it up, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints who are in Philippi. Paul saw himself as a slave of Christ. As a slave, he identified as a, as a servant, and, and that w- it w- was his reflection upon and modeling his life after the life of his Savior, after the life of Christ. In, in Christ's incarnation and his humiliation, Christ became a servant on our behalf. Mark 10, 45, Christ said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Paul modeled his life as a servant and identified in that way after his Savior. So Paul's life was one of service to the glory of God and for the good of others. If, if you look at the, the beginning, chapter 1, 21 through 26, and we'll get to that at the end, it, it's all about the fact that whether he lives or dies, he knows it's either for God's glory or for the good of the people. He lives as a servant. And we see his passion for those things in the opening thanksgiving and prayer. 1, 3 through 11 really sets the tone for this whole book. It touches on the vast majority of what Paul addresses throughout the letter. He begins with thankfulness. Begins with thankfulness. He's thankful to God for their lives, the lives of these Philippian believers, specifically for their partnership their fellowship in the gospel. Now, this idea is key throughout the letter. You, the, the, the word, many of you have heard the word koinonia. 
Uh, you know, it's one of those Greek words that many of us know, and it means fellowship or partnership uh, together with. And Paul mentions and rejoices in multiple places over the letter of their, their joining with him in his ministry, in his suffering. And, and some of the ways they've done this is by sending financial and physical aid. They've actually sent people to be a comfort for him, to aid him. He's extremely thankful for that partnership, for their fellowship in the gospel. But as much as it is a help for him, his biggest rejoicing, his his source of of joy more is focused on what that partnership and, and their attitude and their striving to be like Christ in that way actually does for them. In their partnership, in their giving support, they will actually see fruit in their own lives. And Paul's joyous because of that gain, because of that benefit that they receive. And that benefit is greater conformity to Christ. As we follow the ways of our Savior, we do become more and more conformed. As we obey, we become more and more conformed to Christ. Because what they are doing is they are willingly and sacrificially giving of themselves, which just follows the pattern of their Savior. Then in those beginning verses as well, Paul prays. And the content of his prayer, in many ways, you could actually just expound upon it throughout the letters, is what Paul does. He prays that their love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Just think through some of the commands and exhortations that he's given throughout the letter. One of the places we see this expanded upon is his calling them to have the same love in chapter 2. You know, if there's any encouragement in love, any participation in the Spirit, complete my joy by having the same love. Having been encouraged by the love of Christ, he wants them to grow. Further in chapter 3, he instructs them really, love the right things. When you hear that, I count everything as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, all those things. He's saying, I want you to love the proper object. I want your love to be put in the right place. You know, too often we all love our own glory. We love our story and, and our accomplishments, and that's what we value. That's what we rest in more often than not. And it's actually what we want others to know about us. Our first desire isn't, I want them to know that I love Jesus. Our first desire often is, I want them to know that I've done such and such and such and such. Paul say, no, the, the first love is that, we, we, that, that people would know Christ and that they would know that Christ is in us and that they would see that love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Paul calls all believers to count everything as a loss, again, because of what? The surpassing worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Then if we go even back to that prayer in 1, 9 through 11, verse 10, he wrote, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Approve the excellent. You could jump towards the end of the letter, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, when he tells you, think on these things. Think on these things that are excellent. Whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is good, think and practice these things. 
Paul wants us to know and to pursue what is good. He wants us to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit of, of giving, of sharing, of suffering, all to the glory and praise of God. It's our chief end. Man was made to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, as I reread this letter this week and even hearing it again this morning, I was reminded of how beautiful it is and how wonderfully coherent the letter is, how it, it, it holds together, how it connects, and how Paul did that beautifully inspired by the Spirit. Consider 2, 14 to 18. In this section, Paul instructs believers to be thankful, to not give in to grumbling. And obviously, that connects with his prayer to, to, and a call to be like Christ, but there's also a reminder in that. It's an exhortation and a rebuke because we are often too dissatisfied. Well, we're just dissatisfied. I don't think I need the two in front of that. We're often dissatisfied people. We grumble. And so, then the, the, later when Paul shares about his contentment in chapter 4, we see a further connection to all these things. We see how these things connect and interplay with one another, and that the only way to be content, the only way to not grumble, is through Christ who strengthens us. It's through knowing our Lord, which that points us to resting in the sovereignty of God. Paul narrated um, early on in the letter, uh, in chapter 1, how, how he viewed life through a lens of grace, through a lens of the sovereignty of God. I mean, consider the fact that he's able to see his imprisonment as, this has been great because it strengthened the brothers, but also in that, he says, you know what, I even rejoice that there are people out there who, out of pretense and envy and rivalry, they're trying to get under my skin, they're trying to spite me, but yet they're preaching Christ, I rejoice in that because Christ is being proclaimed. Even, even, even if they're trying to hurt me, I rejoice because what they're preaching is still truth. Folks, that takes a big picture. That takes a big God to be able to rely on that, to be able to rejoice when someone is doing something to intentionally try and hurt you. But yet, they're still proclaiming the truth about Christ so you can rejoice. That's holding fast to God. It's holding fast to the word of life. Further, if we look at the beginning of chapter 2, this very well-known key text, it calls believers to, to live like-minded without selfish ambition or conceit, considering others more significant than yourselves. And you read that and you think, this is really hard. And it goes through this whole Christ hymn that is the hope that we have. Because he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You can do this as a believer because you are united to Christ. You have the mind of Christ. That's where there's actually hope. Because otherwise, it just feels so unbelievably daunting to consider everyone else better than you and more significant than yourself and to give of your time and your treasure and talents for other people who may or may not even be thankful for it. And folks, in all of this, we are to continue to strive forward, to work out our salvation with fear 
and trembling. And we do that, again, there's a connection of the sovereignty of God. We, we work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure. God is working. That's our hope. That's our fuel for the fight that we have. And, and Paul, in this letter, he, he doesn't say, hey, I'm already here, just come join me. He's saying, I, I'm still in this fight with you. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 14, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He presses on. Do you feel like you're pressing on in life? Pressing on after that upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Or really, maybe the question is, what are you pressing after? Your own fame? Your own glory? Or are you straining towards the, the true prize? Because he reminds us as well that we are not truly citizens of this earth, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we are to live reflecting that citizenship. It's, it's part, if you, you get to, to chapter 4, that's much of the basis for why, and this whole partnership aspect, it's, it's the basis for why he and how he calls out Euodia and Syntyche. He says, I, I want you to agree in the Lord. You need to act as citizens. You need to have partnership and fellowship. You need to think the same way because you are fellow citizens. I remember going through this and a quote from one commentator wrote, the division of Christians is the sin of fratricide. The division of Christians is murdering your brother or your sister in Christ. Because we're united in Christ. That's why it's so bad, because we are members of the same body. Our names as, as those in Christ are all written in the book of life. I cannot fail to mention probably the most familiar section in this letter, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see so much of that, that similar language, the, the belief in, in God that the Lord is at hand. That's the reason we don't need to be anxious about anything, that the peace of God will, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And if you read through the, the end of that next section, you see that it's that the God of peace will be with you. Those are the bookends in this entire thing. And so hopefully, just in going through this briefly, you see many of the underlying themes and ideas that Paul has already mentioned. This letter truly is a masterpiece. It's inspired by God. It's His letter to His people for all time. And I pray that it's been beneficial to you. I pray that you love this letter, that you can go back to it and see and, and be encouraged to walk with the Lord. I pray that the truths root themselves deeply in your own heart. 
Well, one last point, really. I think the controlling verse in this letter is chapter 1, verse 27. Anyway, you know, a lot of people think 21 of chapter 1, because that's one that people can remember. But 27, I think, really sets the tone, and especially sets the tone for the latter half of this book. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that first word controls so much of it. Only. You know, you, you, you give a kid a chore and you say, only do that. <laughs> like, you don't expect them to do everything else between here and there. Right? Your, your, your command is, do that one thing. This is the command that's given. Only do this one thing. Now, this one thing is massive, right? But the one command is only let your manner of life, so the way that you live, the way that you present yourself, let people know that your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Not worthy to, to merit the gospel, but worthy as a beautiful reflection of the gospel of grace that has changed you. That's what he calls us to. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I think it reflects on what Paul wrote just before that. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's long that, that people would have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of our presence in their lives, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with family and friends, with fellow students that we know, people on our athletic teams, that because we have let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that they would come to that point of glory and in Christ Jesus because of our presence, because we've been bold enough to proclaim the gospel to them, because we've been bold enough to show it and to, to not jump in with things that aren't worthy of the gospel of Christ. So folks, how will you respond to this letter? How will you respond? Will you hear and heed these words? Will you seek to, to have them take root? My charge is press on. Press on and only let your manner of life be like this. Long for the mind of Christ in you that he talks about in chapter 2. Pray for the mind of Christ to be more and more evident in your life. And rest in that. And trust God Pursue Him with everything you have. 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Him, it, it outpaces anything else we have. And it, it's, it's hard to realize that all the time because everything else is right before us. But truly, the surpassing worth of Christ outpaces everything. That's, he's our only plea. He's our only hope. He's our only source of life. So let these words sink deep, take root, and bring about change. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for how you love us, how you care for us, and how you delight in us. And we pray that you would use this word in our lives, that you would grow us into conformity with Christ. Thanks for the opportunity to, to study your word, that we have it in our hands at our fingertips. May we long for your truth. We pray in Christ's name, amen.